Well, good morning again, everyone. I'm Jeff. My privilege to uh, bring the message today. We are in our Markers series. Markers is the well-worn path toward Christ. I love this series. I've been loving this. We've got two more weeks of this series. These markers, these markers are the cairns. They're the, they're the trail markers. They're the big piles of stone that people have built over time, over the ancient times where, where we go, okay, Christians walk this way. They're rooted in the teaching of Jesus. They're lived out through the testimony of people that have gone before us, and they say, walk this way. This is how it is that we can live as followers of Christ. And um, so we've, we've, uh, we've been talking about these. They're, we've used the seven classic uh, Christian virtues, which are actually they're, they're, uh, the opposites or the seven deadly sins, which we may have heard more about. We've done some good ones. I mean, we've done, uh, we, did ch- we started with chastity or sexual purity, which was just an awesome idea. Uh, to start with that, because you all just sat there like, what are we doing in this series? You've seen the looks on your faces. And um, that was one of the markers. And we did generosity, we did diligence, we did kindness, we did uh, forgiveness. And uh, today we're looking at humility, the idea of humility. And, um, you know, Art mentioned some, had some, uh, some great insights around humility last week, the third of his four point, uh, sorry, the third of his three points about forgiveness the marker of forgiveness, that humility was one of the, the, the kind of the markers on the way to forgiveness, if you will. And it was humility from the classic sense that we would understand it, that he, that he was saying, you got to get in touch with how much you've been given by God so that you, if you've been, if you've been forgiven such forgiveness, then you can extend forgiveness. And so part of forgiveness is this understanding of, man, do I need it? And classically, we understand this idea of humility that way, that there's, that there's sort of a, um, you know, we're acknowledging our lack of divinity. We're acknowledging our humanness. We're acknowledging our limits and our faults and our wrongs. And so we, we put ourselves in sort of that grounded place of understanding the truth about who I am and who I'm not. In fact, the word, the, the Latin word that humility comes from means on the ground. It means lowly. It means earthy. It means right here. And of course, what, what that implies is not in heaven. He's God and we're not. So that's kind of a classic understanding of humility. Um, I want to look at it today a little bit and take it kind of into the realm of our relationships with other people as demonstrated by the teaching of Jesus and the example of Jesus. How is it that we live out this life of humility, of groundedness, of living on the ground, as it relates to engaging with people and relating in love to people? Here's my definition of humility as we go forward this morning. It's humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. We often think of humility being that idea of stop it and take yourself down a notch. Who do you think you are? Like that kind of a, you know, you think you're so great. So you ought to be thinking a little bit less of yourself. That's sort of a classic understanding. That makes some sense. But really, when you look at this message biblically, what is, what is humility biblically? It's this idea of thinking of yourself less, putting other people in front of you, considering them better than you, considering their needs greater than your own, thinking of others first. Does that not sound biblical even? Doesn't that just sound like something Jesus would have said? So that's this idea. Humility is not thinking less of ourselves. It's about thinking of ourselves less. You may understand it a little bit better when you look at the flip side. If we look at my definition of pride, pride's the other side. It's the deadly sin that's counter to this idea of humility. The definition of pride is pride is dangerous, 
<clears throat> sorry, dangerously corrupt selfishness. Pride is dangerously corrupt selfishness, the putting of one's own desires and interests before the welfare of others. That's what real pride is. You can go back to the humility slide there. I mean, this is what real humility and real pride is. This is where the rubber meets the road for us, friends. I mean, there are very few of us in this room who need sort of just the challenge from me. Hey, why don't you think of yourself a little bit less like, you know, like most people don't struggle with that, at least not too long. When you walk into a room and think, wow, I'm probably the smartest person in this room. You know, inevitably, God in his graciousness will lead you to somebody there who blows your doors off. And you're like, well, okay, I guess not, right? Or I'm driving the nicest car in my neighborhood until your ne the next neighbor gets a new car. Or until like this, like that's sort of basic stuff. Listen, if you think you're the best looking person in the room, if you think you're the best person in shape, I always think like, well, I'm doing, this is how I get myself out on the trail. Like I'm doing pretty good. Like I, I'm in pretty good shape for a 55-year-old. Like, I'm out here running until the 70-year-old dude blows by me out on the trail, right? And then you're like, okay, well, I'm not going to put a whole lot of stock in that. Like, if all of our stock is in, well, I finally pulled it together. I'm good looking. I'm in shape. I've got this. I've got that. Please, if that's where you are and you need that message, seriously, you, you need a therapist is what you need. And I don't know how to talk to you about that because really the world kind of conspires to go ahead and take us down those notches whenever we're, we think we're all that because we're going to find that somebody else is more than that. And most of us have found living that way is a little uh, painful, and we might as well just get in touch with the reality. But I'd rather get into this place of understanding, wow, humility is not thinking less of myself. Humility is thinking about myself less. Anybody sick of themselves? We got to think about ourselves less and put others in front of us because that this is simple really it's about putting everybody else ahead of you and that equals love that's what love is considering somebody else's needs ahead of your own wow i mean that's pretty basic but that is a beautiful and constant challenge as followers of jesus who preached this message of love and as a matter of fact who himself was the example and that's what we're going to look at is Jesus' example in the text that Paul writes about Jesus' example of humility in Philippians chapter 2. I'd really like for you to take your Bibles out and open it because it's a rather lengthy passage and I'm going to refer back to it. It's hard to see on the little tiny screen up there. I was almost tempted to not put it up there and sort of do the, let's turn on the lights and do a little Bible study together. But if you did bring a Bible or if you can grab one underneath the seat in front of you, uh, Philippians chapter 2, verses one through 11. Um, this is Paul talking about humility and talking about Jesus' example. Starting in verse 1, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness in compassion, then make my joy complete. He's going to tell them something. Here's what he's saying. If, you, if you're in on this journey, if you're in on this thing, I mean, if you're, if you're on this Christian journey, if you're filled with the Spirit, then he goes, listen up, listen. If, if, you're, if you're moving toward Christ with us, listen up. He goes, I want you to make my joy complete, verse two, by being like-minded, having the same love, being one, being one in spirit and of one mind. And then he sort of caps, he goes, listen, if you're going to live together on Christ's journey, if you're going to be Christ's people, listen, he says. Verse 3, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, consider others above yourselves. Now, just look at that verse for a minute. 
Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Again, most of us kind of go, well, I don't think I do anything out of vain conceit. Am I really vain? Well, yeah. And if you find, after hearing this message, and God will do this to you, this message, this phrase will come back to you this week, and you'll be like, I actually am vain. Are you kidding me? Like, God will do that to you this week. But most of us are not about, I'm vain, and I have vain conceit, and I'm selfishly ambitious. Most of us don't admit that so readily. But I bet you find hints of it now that God's words come toward you. Good luck with that. But go to the second phrase of that. It's like, but in humility, value others, what? Above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you should be looking to the interests of others. Friends, this is what love is. This is how humility is expressed in looking at other people's interests ahead of our own. Your relationships, he says in verse 5, with one another should have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And he goes to list what that is. Here's Jesus, being very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Isn't that a beautiful phrase? He had everything. This was fully God, fully human. He was the one perfect, the only ever perfect human man who was the divine son of God as well. He was, he was, he was privileged to be there at creation. He experienced the glory of God in its height. This is him. And instead of considering that something to be used for his own advantage, he did not take his own position, so to speak, and use it for his own advantage. What did he do? He made himself nothing, verse 7, taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. And then being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. Therefore, because he lived that way, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. I know, you should say amen to that, right? In heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is what God did because Jesus humbled himself. You see the humility in that passage. He humbled himself. And we're supposed to be living in humility toward one another, which is valuing one another's needs greater than our own. This is the simple message. And I'm going to give you a couple of points, but listen, this is all you need if you want to play bubble mania. This is all you need for the rest of the sermon. Humility is about loving people the way Jesus did by giving ourselves away so that their needs are met. That's what love is. Put the other people's needs ahead of ours, give ourselves away so that their needs are met. That's what Jesus did. And that's what humility is. It has nothing to do with whether or not, Craig, we know you're the best bass player in the room. Sorry, Lauren, you're the, we know that. That's not what humility is. Humility is thinking about ourselves less and thinking of others first. It's about love. A couple of, what does it say, that it says that here, he, he have the same mindset as Jesus. Here's a couple of points. What does is, what is having the same mindset as Jesus, Christ Jesus, mean? First, it means being willing to live as a servant. Being willing to live as a servant. That's what you saw at the beginning of that passage about what Jesus is and what he did, verse 6. He's in very, he, he in very nature was God, but he did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing in comparison, taking the very nature of a servant. What does a servant do? Serves. A servant meets needs. 
The servant has a job to do to meet some needs, to put those needs ahead of who they are and what they're feeling in that moment. They do their job to meet those needs. Jesus, he deserved all glory, but didn't take that on as, all right, earth, here we go. He came as a servant and said, you have this mindset, folks. You have the same mindset. You come as a servant. And so he sought the welfare of others. I don't know how many times, maybe five, six times in different places in Jesus' teaching, did he say something along the lines of, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He came to give his life away. Even the Son of Man, even the glorious Son of Man did not come on earth to be served, but to serve and to give his life away, give his life as a ransom for many. So he did the hard and lonely work to come and do the job that God gave him to do, to love and consider others' needs and to go do it. And then he said, go do likewise. I mean, the best picture of this is, in, is uh, I think, is in John 13, which is the passage where um, Jesus, drawing near the end of his ministry, know the t- knew, knowing the time had come for him to then return back to the Father and be glorified again, It says that he got up at the meal that he was at with all his disciples and took a towel and he wrapped it around his waist, took took off his outer garment, took a towel, and then began to wash their feet. Now, if you've been around church and you've heard any stories, you've seen any of the Jesus movies or any of that stuff, you will have known that that was this shocking thing for a rabbi, a teacher, a leader to do. I don't even know what kind of... uh, um, parallel there is in our culture today, uh, but it, you know, it's, 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 I don't know. I don't know. Because anyone I do, you're going to be like, that guy, I don't respect that person. But it's, if your CEO of your company on week one came to your desk and literally took off their jacket and had a bit, can you imagine a bowl of water and took off, untied your shoes? And took off those sweaty socks. Now, already the intimacy of that moment is uncomfortable. Who's uncomfortable right now? <laughs> hey, I don't even know your feet and I'm uncomfortable. <laughs> it's like, what are you doing? The, the followers of the rabbi, the disciples, were above washing someone's feet. It was a servant's job, it was the bottom of the barrel. And Jesus, as a last act practically, said, Let me come wash your feet, and now you're going to have to go and do likewise. The mindset of Jesus Christ, the humility of Jesus Christ, is to be a foot washer. Now think about what being a foot washer means. There is is a practical kind of initiative to this, partly. There's a few things that I'm going to tell you that I think being a foot washer is about. There's a practical initiative. There's a Jesus looking. There were no servants in the room. Jesus saying, somebody's got to do this. A need has to be met, both in terms of the symbolism of it, but also in terms of the practicality of it. These people need to feel loved. These people need to understand what I feel for them. These people need to understand the importance of their job going forward after I leave the earth. Jesus had this job to do. Somebody needed to, to wash their feet, and Jesus goes, I'll do that. I'm going to do that. And as we start to, you start to think about what it looks like to be a foot washer, are you the kind of person that when you see a need in the world, when you see somebody who needs some love in the world, when you are in a room that somebody needs 
some touch. Somebody needs some grace. Will you be the person that goes, I'm doing that. I'm going to do that. I'm not waiting for somebody else to do that. I'm going to step in and I'm going to do that. And then as Jesus stepped in with this sort of pragmatic uh, initiative, there was also this terrifying intimacy in it, as I alluded to before. Friends, you step into the ugliness of people's lives. You say to somebody, how are you doing? And they can't fake it anymore and melt down. It is game on. It is one broken soul talking, and you don't know that you got the strength to do it. Loving and putting people's needs ahead of us. It's this, uh, this pragmatic initiative, but it's also this terrifying intimacy. And it's not for the faint of heart. And many of you know that. That's why you choose to not have relationships with people in your life, very many of them, because you're like, I'm not going to go there. But if you're going to be a foot washer, that's what it looks like. And then there's this component to this being a foot washer, living, willing to live as a servant, that there's something that happens inside where you, you recognize nothing's beneath me. This is a word for our culture. This is a word for suburban church. This is a word for Marin County. This is a word for the third row. Just kidding. I don't know who's in the third row. This is a word for us. Nothing's beneath you. Jesus set that example. He said, you humble yourselves like this. You put others' needs ahead of your own and you do whatever it takes. No job is beneath you. Nobody is below you. You consider others better than yourselves. There are moments in your day, and again, I'm apologizing. This, mo- this week, I'm apologizing for reading you this Bible verse. Because you will recognize as you go through your week, if you're anything like my last week, as I went ahead of you, studying this text, all these texts, you will know, notice a number of times this week where you realize, I think I'm better than that person. Not, oh, I'm better looking than that person. Not, oh, I'm smarter than that person. Not, oh, I'm more accomplished than that person. That's that typical pride stuff. No, it's, you'll actually think in your heart, I think I'm better than them. And I don't want to kind of come down to their level. That's gross. And it's in us. Have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, Paul says, who being in very nature God did not consider this equality with God something to be used for his own advantage, but humbled himself, became nothing, a foot washer to meet the needs of other people. Are we willing to live as servants by the grace of God? That's the mindset of Christ. What would it look like for you to be a foot washer at home, at work, on the bus, at Starbucks, in our community? A foot washer, somebody who comes with this pragmatic initiative, with this willingness to be intimate and dirty and not considering anybody beneath me. That's powerful. What would even consider for you to come to your, walk into your home with your roommates or walk into your group of friends that are together or if you're married, walk into your uh, your house when your spouse is there, if you have kids to walk in and know that your family is gathered, what would it feel like for you to walk in and think to yourself, what does the practical equivalent of washing their feet tonight look like? Where I would love them and meet them and serve them 
way beyond my, my wants, my desires, my needs. Put them first. But doesn't that excite you a little bit? The second thing that he said about having the same mindset of Jesus was that Jesus was willing to live as a servant, but also became obedient to death, even the death on the cross. Remember that? Obedient to the point of dying to ourselves. Verse 8 says that, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death. Became obedient to death. Became obedient all the way. Became obedient to surrendering his whole life to meet those needs in love. To be such a giver that there was nothing left of his own agenda to the point of death. Now, this is the symbolism for us, friends. None of us, none of you are going to die as givers. You're not going to be, you're not, your faith's not going to cost you your death. You're not going to work, you're not going to give so hard this week that you're actually going to die. But, but for us, that idea that we would literally be so obedient that we'd get to the place where our needs are dead compared to loving that person. Now listen, if you got boundary problems and you got self-care problems, get a therapist for sure. You gotta do that. But most of us go, well, I'm doing self-care or I'm doing boundaries when what we're really doing is being selfish. Jesus, the same mindset of Jesus was that he would become a foot washer and all the way, even to the point of dying to ourselves. We do not know how to die to ourselves the way that we should. I'm sorry, I just shitted on you. I shouldn't have done that. But there is this challenge to us in our culture to say, am I really ready to give up my needs, my longings, my desires, my time, my resources so that somebody else's, so somebody else can be loved that their needs would be considered greater than my own? That is radical. Um. It's interesting that he became obedient to death, it says, even death on the cross. And the cross becomes an important symbol then for all of us and has for history now, for a long time. The cross, well, we may have a, a little marker, a little wood cross. We may have some sort of an emblem that we carry around that cross. The cross becomes an important and significant picture. Because Jesus going all the way and loving and meeting other people's needs to such a degree they actually died to himself. Jesus' case, he died. It was a brutal reality. I mean, he's like, well, this is what it takes following God to love this world that I'm going all the way. And you read the story of the cross, it's not like Jesus was like, no big deal, I'm God, I can take it, I don't feel pain, I got it, you know, whatever. I mean, it was, he was in the garden, right, going, if there's any, are you sure, God? Is there any way you can take this cup from me? And so the cross became this brutal picture of death. I mean, it was so brutal. The cross was such an incredible uh, image. You, you know that when, when, in that time, you know, there was Caesar would come into the province and he would come in with a sword and he would say, confess Caesar as Lord. And this new young community that understood what Jesus had done would have to, by punishment of death, would have to say, uh, no, Jesus is Lord. In fact, there was a propaganda line that Caesar had that said, literally it said this, there is no other name given to you by which you must be saved. So, 
If you pledge yourself to Caesar, you're going to be okay. And Christians had to say, actually, there's no other name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved but Jesus. And Jesus is Lord. And because of that, when that happened, then the Romans would take, they had these impaling stakes that were a version of the cross that we may see now and think of. And they would, he would, the enemies of Caesar would be put on this stake and suffer to die in front of the whole community in order to communicate, if you're going to be all in for Jesus, then this is going to be the punishment. And Jesus ended up dying one of those deaths. It's a brutal punishment that stands for the truth that our God is good and the world is going to be a better place if we live in community of love and, share, and, 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 and shared resources and all the things that Jesus came and taught like this, and, and be reconciled to God. Like this is the message, not power and sword and all that. That's, that's what Caesar came to bring. Well, this cross, this picture of the cross was a brutal reality because it meant death. It meant commitment to the things of God at great cost. Do you hear it? In fact, you know, now we have crosses everywhere and you wear crosses and all that kind of stuff. There were no crosses. There was no symbolism in the Christian church. If you see any of the artifacts and they didn't, ha- they didn't, they didn't have the cross pictures and stuff for like three, or three to four hundred years. And the reason is nobody who was alive or had recent memory of what that cross meant would ever want to celebrate that symbol. It was too close. It was too brutal. Nobody then was like, you know, that'd make a sweet pair of earrings. But now, it's been redeemed. It's been redeemed, right? This becomes this beautiful symbol for us where we say, I, like my Savior Jesus, will love and meet the needs of people to the point of dying to myself. Because in a brutal symbol like this, fidelity to God, even to the point of my death, death to my own self, death to my own priorities, death to my own, I will love like that because what comes out of it is resurrection life that I can't even conceive of. And the symbol's been totally changed. I hope you have a cross. I hope you have a tattoo of a cross. Let's all get tattoos at Lent. Let's all get tattoos of cross at Lent. Who's in? I want to do this. Okay, I'm totally in. And that's the last point is there... There comes this life out of death, friends. The the third part of the mindset of Jesus Christ is that we long for the affirmation of God alone. We long for the affirmation, the reward of God alone. The text goes on to say that God exalted him to the highest place. So God's reward came to Jesus. Life came. God exalted him to the highest place. He lowered himself to nothing, gave himself in love even to the point of death, and God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. And your name is not going to be above every name. But the example is there that he submitted himself to the will of God, wanting only God's will, wanting only the affirmation of God, wanting to die to whatever it was going to cost him. He was willing to pay it, and then God lifted him up. That's all through our scriptures. It's everywhere in our scriptures for us, not just for Jesus, this kingdom principle that if you die to yourself, God will bring you life and more life than you can imagine. And that's the way we're supposed to live. If we grab onto life and we grab onto our needs and we grab onto our wants and we grab onto what we think that we need, Jesus said it over and over and over again. If you exalt yourself, you're going to get humbled. If you humble yourself, you're going to get exhausted. The first exalted. The first will be last and the last will be first. And the mindset of Jesus is that he made himself nothing 
living like a servant for other, to meet people's needs in love, all the way to the point of dying to himself. And God brought life out of it. Let me read you 1 Peter as a way, last verse, I didn't put it in the, in your, um, in the notes, but you gotta see this. 1 Peter chapter five. Peter writes, all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Put on humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Listen to those words. Clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud. God works against the proud. Those that exalt themselves will be humbled. Friends, I've said this many times. This is a really hard teaching. This is for really mature people. And if you don't love us enough, this is going to make you, you I, I hope you can hear this. Listen. There may have it be a sense of opposition in your life because the enemy hates you and the devil's real and, and our flesh is messed up. That's why you feel opposition. But parts of your opposition you may feel is that you haven't surrendered to God. You're holding on to the lordship of your life. You're holding on to your needs. This is a mature word. You're holding on to your needs and your agenda and your control. And the scriptures say that God opposes that. He resists that because why? Because he's mean and he wants to punish you? No, because he wants you to come to him to find life. The mindset of Christ Jesus is that we die to ourselves and God brings life. Listen to the rest of 1 Peter. God opposes the proud, but he shows grace or favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. So the last thing that we do, this longing for affirmation of God alone, we say, okay, God, I'm gonna, if you wanna bring affirmation, great, but I'm in. If you wanna bring Reward, great, but I'm dying to myself to love people. If you want to bring success in my life, God, or you want to bring these things that I would have strived for myself, great, or not, I am going to give you my heart and my life to love and meet the needs of people in the world just like you. The best part of my daughter's wedding last May it was not that, you know, it was really sweet and she's just precious and she's the favorite of my four kids. And... <laughs> That's right, they, everybody knows that. It's not true. Um, it was just so fresh, right? 23 and 22-year-old getting married? What do they know? They know, they know nothing. <laughs> but it wasn't, that wasn't it. Here's what they do know that they came to this wedding and this Ben and I got to jointly marry them, but they came to this wedding knowing that they had said, you know what, Jesus Christ is Lord. That's all we know. What do we know? We don't know anything. We're 23 and 22, we're getting married. This is what God's led us to. That's all we know, that Jesus Christ is Lord. And so they had these dreams that they could be They'd have God in the center of their marriage, that by God's grace, maybe they could serve him. And they've spent their first summer being married, loving kids on the beach in San Diego and um, telling them about Jesus. And they're now working on the student ministry up here with Ben. And they're 
Anna's involved in worship. And I'm like, they have these dreams to serve God. They have these dreams to, if the Lord wills, to have kids someday and help those kids understand Jesus. They have dreams to, to travel around the world and keep being involved in ministry. Casey's in, in um, doing a Young Life camp in Colorado this weekend. And they just have these dreams, right? They just have these dreams that they could be God's people and that God would give them richness and friends. And, you know, like they're dreams. But what was powerful for me, the favorite thing about the wedding, was that when I stood up to give them the message, the homily, this was the message, friend, and I'm so moved by it because I believe in it not just for my daughter, but for every young married couple. I believe in it for every individual in this room. It's this scriptural concept. If you honor God, he will honor you. If you, if you by the same attitude as Christ Jesus, Become nothing. Become a servant of all. Go to love and give your life to live for other people and consider their needs greater than your own and submit yourself to the lordship of Jesus. He will lift you up. He will give you the life that you dream of. You submit to him and he brings life. That's the message of the cross. Come and die. And he brings life. I don't want the little life that I could create for myself. I want the beautiful life that Jesus can bring when I die to myself. That's humility, friends. It's not about thinking less of yourselves. Well, it is. It's about thinking of yourself less. And in the example of Jesus and by the grace of Jesus, giving yourself away in love that they may know that God is good.